Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and this week, William Gallagher joins me, and we talk all about the M1-powered MacBook Pro, the new HomePod Minis, and all the changes in macOS Big Sur. This episode is brought to you by Headspace. Try one month totally for free at headspace.com slash appleinsider. And SanDisk. Get 15% off select featured products at sandisk.com slash appleinsider. And the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. Get 15% off site-wide at nebbia.com slash appleinsider. Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This week, joined by William Gallagher across the pond. How are you doing, William? Uh, I am very well, but I'm also, I'm concerned for you. Concerned? I really am. Oh boy. Because you've got all this new equipment. All the, it's, your house has got to be full. I do. Can I help you in any way by taking your iPad, <laughs> anything like that? You know, just... Well, of all the new devices, I, I don't know how you feel about this, William. I feel like this fall, Apple has probably released the most devices that I can remember in any season. I mean, we have the Apple Watch Series 6 and the iPad Air, not to mention the iPad 8th Gen normal iPad. All that was in the first event. Then we had four new iPhones, the Mini 12, 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max, and HomePod Mini. And then all the M1 MacBooks, which is like two announcements in one because you're announcing a new processor. It's their first Apple Silicon and three computers. Have you ever remembered a, a season like this where they just released a ton of stuff? I can't think. Actually, you even in that long list, you missed one. There was the Apple Watch SE, um, which actually I think oh, is the watch true. I'd go for if I didn't already uh, have a Series 4. But yeah, you're right. Um, and almost all of it, I really want. Oh, and yet there are still going to be people <laughs> that are saying, well, there's no AirTags yet, is there? Well, you know, of all the events, because I asked you before, I think every event, if you thought they were going to announce anything else. And I think you called it on this last one. You said they're going to do the Apple Silicon Max and nothing else. And they did exactly that. You were right, William. Finally, I get it right. I, I Yeah, it's a roll of the dice, really, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, professionalism, studied thoughts. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we have to jump into it because there's a ton of news this week and reviews and devices. So let's kick it off with kind of what everybody's talking about this week, which is the new M1 powered MacBooks. There's the MacBook Air, the 13 inch MacBook Pro and the new Mac Mini. Now, none of them have tempted you yet, as you said. Do you don't have any of these in hand yet? No, I was. Uh, I said to you before that I, I was in the market for a, a MacBook Pro and I'd spent a lot of time figuring the odds. So when Apple announced these, I thought, well, I'll just check the price, compare it to all the specs that I've been going through. And then they just blew every spec away. So, so I felt like I was back to the start for it. And then I spent so long trying to figure out uh, the difference between an Air and a Pro. And, and I think I've, I understand now that I probably would want a Pro but uh, I'm still in the confused stage. Uh, it's a pro you went for, isn't it? Am I right? It is. So let's talk real quick. First of all, you should definitely check out listener Daniel's review of the 13-inch MacBook Pro on AppleInsider.com. It's the first link in show notes. He did an awesome review. He gave it four and a half stars, high marks for this new MacBook Pro. But here's the deal. I was watching all this stuff go down during the week. You know, everyone, MKBHD was one of the first. He had his video out and then our videos came out in reviews. And I was holding off because I have my 16-inch MacBook Pro. I'm actually recording on it right now because Audio Hijack is not yet updated to be compatible with M1 Max, which we'll get to in a minute. But I ordered the 13-inch MacBook Air because I was like, the, the MacBook Air is outperforming everything, even my 16-inch apparently in some people's reviews. So I was like, okay, I'm, I want to I want to try it. I'm going to get it. So I ordered the MacBook Air online, you know, several days after the event. And unfortunately, ship dates had slipped like way into December. And so I wasn't going to be getting it for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And as the MacBooks were starting to become available on Monday or Tuesday of this week, I checked my local Apple store, which is still open in Brandon, Florida. And they had a lot of these Macs just in stock, ready to pick up. And after watching a lot of the reviews, I chose to cancel my Air order. I got the 13-inch MacBook Pro, one terabyte, 16 gigs of RAM. I did it for next day pickup at the Apple Store, and I was able to get it uh, this past week, Wednesday, actually. So here was my decision-making, and you can let me know what you think. But, you know, there's two main differences, basically. Aside from the body style, where you get the wedge shape on the Air, the MacBook Pro it has the same number of ports, same kinds of ports. But from all the reviews, what I saw is you get a little bit better battery life because there's bigger batteries. 
And two, sustained performance. Obviously, it's the same one M chip. If you get the higher-end MacBook Air, you still get the 8-core GPU. The lower-end Air has the 7-core. But you can get the same exact M1 in both machines, the Air and the Pro. But the Pro does have that cooling system. And all the reviews, John Gruber and a bunch of others said you don't even hear the fan. So, you know, who knows how much it's cooling. But whatever it can do, it is able to sustain the performance of the M1 at that highest speed for longer. And the one use case that I have that I would want to do that with is I do encode video periodically, like once or twice a week. I'll have like a 20 or 30 minute video that I have to go through compressor and push it out. And so I was like, well, if it's going to save me a little bit of time, I just like peace of mind. And Jason A10, who's been on the show, he writes for Inc. He was like, you basically just bought a touch bar. And I was like, listen, you don't got to diss me like that publicly on Twitter, okay? Uh, I, I'm not crazy about the touch bar. That is the other major difference. But I would have that nagging question in the back of my mind every time I export a video on that air, could this have been faster on the pro? And so to pre-remedy, <laughs> to get get ahead of that thought that I might have in the future, I said, let me just get the pro. And also because... I'm thinking this might replace my 16-inch MacBook Pro. I have an iMac at home, and I do a lot of work on that. And I got the 16-inch because it was super powerful. And this was about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. And it's maxed out. It's got the i9. But pretty much everything is better about the 13-inch as far as speed. Battery life is ridiculous. And if it can encode video even similar to the 16-inch, I really have no reason to keep the 16-inch. And I just love the the new M1 13-inch Pro. So I don't know. That was my thought process. Did that? Did I make the right decision, uh, William? Did I have at least good uh, <laughs> reasons to do what I did? It all worked. <laughs> I mean, my, my mind's gone off in five different ways. Um, uh, one that might be useful is uh, the touch bar. Have you tried uh, Better Touch Tool? Do, uh, do you even know that app? You had mentioned that in the past, and I should try it. Basically what I do, I did this on my 16-inch, and now I just did it on the 13. I have it as basically an extended control strip all the time. Mm. So it never changes regardless what app I have open. I have brightness, backlight keyboard brightness, airplay, do not disturb, sound controls, and a couple other things. And it just stays the same all the time. Because I don't know if I like it switching when I switch apps, and I'm not sure what's going to be in that touch bar at any given moment, depending on what app is in the foreground. So I just keep it just as a control strip. But you like Better Touch Tool. Yes, as an app on the Mac, I like and I use it a lot. I, I've actually never had more than a few minutes use on a, a Mac with a touch bar. I've never owned one, never put one to serious use. So I don't know how it translates it, but I hear that it, it does all sorts of things that make the touch bar much more appealing to people who've previously disliked it. Okay, but uh, let me go another way then. I was really with you about the video editing and it suddenly occurred to me that the 13-inch screen is considerably smaller than the 16-inch model bit. So if you, this these hours of videos that you work on, do you not find it harder to do the actual editing part, even if the, the rendering bit is quicker afterwards? I might, but overall, I used to be a 13-inch guy all the time. I had the Air uh, when it first was remodeled and with the Touch ID. I had a 13-inch MacBook Pro a number of years ago. And all in all, because I have a desktop, I actually like the 13-inch size for portability and just taking it out real quick and working on something. A lot of what I do, I work on some websites and do web development. And so for that stuff, the bigger screen is nice, but it's not a, a game changer. And I don't know the portability. I like the small iPad. I think I like the small MacBook Pro. And so the smaller screen size and form factor, it's just nice. And after using the 13-inch for a couple of days, when I pulled out my 16-inch to record this podcast, it <laughs> did feel like a surfboard. It's, yes. it's pretty large. I'm with you on the, the, the device size. The 16 just feels too big. But the screen has me havering back and forth. Okay, last thing of where my mind went as you were describing all of this. I get very easily that it being so much faster at uh, video work is, is brilliant when you do video work. But I, although I do, I suppose most of the time I'm a writer, can I, would I, will I even notice a difference in the new machines just opening pages or Omni Outliner or something? Honestly, I, I think you would. There's a link in show notes. You can see all the numbers. But in single core performance, which is what those tasks would be, 
this MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air scores higher than I think any other Mac that you can get aside from maybe um, an iMac 27 inch. So even just opening like messages or pages, even like system preferences feels instantaneous. Like on my 16 inch, if I open system preferences, it's a second. And again, like this is first world problem. Like <laughs> you have to wait a second for system preferences. My goodness. But I just, I just, I know, I know. It's a fate worse than death. But after like I'm doing them side by side. I have them right here, one right after another. And system preferences on the M1 feels instantaneous, as well as a lot of other apps, like opening messages, opening Safari. The wake from sleep is something that Craig Frederick, you know, that was the joke that launched a thousand memes from the event. Yes. You know, him, you know, opening it up and the music playing. But honestly, Touch ID feels a lot faster on the M1 as well. I don't know if it's because it has that neural engine in it and the Intel Macs don't, but all those little things add up to be really fast. Now, one thing that, that I actually heard this from Marco Arment on ATP, if you go to the display setting and you actually go to change the display resolution. It's actually instantaneous. It doesn't fade to black. It doesn't like look weird for a second and snap back. Like it is an immediate and instant change in display resolution. You know, I don't know where else you would see that, but little things like that, you just don't have to wait for it. It's just instant. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. You've won me over. I, think. I know. I'm telling you. Okay. So if that wasn't enough, let me go here. Everyone's been talking about the battery life on these new Macs. And I was like a little skeptical, again, friend of the show, Jason Aten, and a bunch of people posting screenshots, been using it for, you know, uh, five weeks, uh, still at 90%. No, not exactly. But I will say I installed Chrome this morning and Chrome actually updated for the M1 Max. You can actually download an Apple Silicon optimized version of Chrome today. I did that and I was really leery because I was like, battery life, it's the one app that's going to kill my battery of everything I do, unless I'm doing Final Cut, but in normal day-to-day use. I downloaded Chrome. I used it a bunch this morning. And I will tell you, William, it was at 93% this morning. I didn't charge it overnight. I, I used it some last night, you know, for a couple hours and it went down to 93%. So it was at 93% at 10 o'clock this morning. And at one o'clock, it's at 78%. So it went down 15% in three hours with a ton of Chrome use, Twitter, doing a Safari and Chrome at the same time. I was doing some, um, I forgot what else I was doing, but I was doing several tasks. So even with Chrome and Safari, a bunch of tabs, it only went down 15% in three hours, William. That's it. I mean, what are you going to do with that? I must be the only person who doesn't <laughs> like Chrome. I find it heavy and oddly sluggish and i don't know why everybody else loves it but um i was thinking uh with the battery life what do i carry you safari it's light and fast but now even chrome even lumbering battery soaked up chrome <laughs> is not denting these things sufficiently okay yeah i'll go right, i'll give you that one and i will actually agree with you i really don't like chrome and i use it very sparingly there are a couple extensions that are available to web developers specifically especially if you use Squarespace, that are really, really useful. And it just saves a bunch of time rather than trying to go into the Safari web developer windows. So for those, a like, couple extensions, if I'm working on a website, I'll jump over to Chrome and use it and then close it and try to never use it again until I have to. <laughs> uh, but even when I have to, it's still, this battery life is just incredible. Okay. Anyway. But when is the M2? When is the 13-inch with a 14-inch screen? Right. When is, you know, yes. when will my bank account recover from the iPhone 12 Pro? Oh, <laughs> these are the questions that must be asked. This episode is brought to you by Headspace. Guys, I'm so excited to tell you and that they came on as a sponsor because I've used Headspace a lot in the past and I still use it today to great effect. Listen, life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. And in case you didn't know, 2020 has been a challenging year and even one of the most difficult times in some people's lives. So you might need stress relief. You might need to figure out how to get over some anxiety. Headspace is the way to do it. Headspace can give you a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditation and easy-to-use app. And listen, even if that sounds intimidating, let me tell you, I did not meditate before using Headspace, but walking through some of their programs, even for some specific issues, Headspace is an incredible app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation is, Headspace really can help you feel better. 
If you feel overwhelmed or fearful, or maybe you have some burnout, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Maybe you need some help falling asleep. Headspace has a wind-down sessions that members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and a ton of other benefits. Again, I'll tell you, I've used Headspace for a long time. I actually really liked their Fear of Flying segment. While I'm not super fearful, I would always get a little nervous flying. And they have a specific fear of flying segment. And you can do that course, even doing it sitting at the airport or even when you get on the plane. And honestly, it really helps. And not only that, but if you do feel anxious or you just want to help get better focus, doing one of the Headspace sessions in the morning, I could really tell you it makes a huge difference. So listen, you deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to Headspace, just like it sounds, headspace.com slash Apple Insider. That's headspace.com slash Apple Insider for a free one-month trial. And you get access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider today. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. So those were some of the amazing things. Performance, battery life. I love the form factor. All those are great. Let me tell you a couple negatives. Coming from the 16-inch specifically, number one, this only has two ports for a MacBook Pro, which is not ideal. And so actually, just yesterday, I was going to charge it, and I instinctively, because the way the charger was, tried to plug it into the right side of the MacBook Pro and was wondering, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get it? And one, well, it's because there's no ports there. So I really do prefer having two ports on each side just for the simplicity of charging direction. Minor thing, but it's it's a thing. And also, if you ever need to plug in like an audio interface, Ethernet, and power, which is something I do often for podcasting, you're going to have to use something like from Hyper where you get a bunch of you know ports and stuff with one of those like um, bricks or docks or you have to do something like that. So, you know, if you have three things you need to plug in, that will cause you to have to get another device, another kind of dongle to do all that with this 13-inch MacBook Pro. So I wish I had four ports. It only has two. That's a negative. Two, setup was super easy. I don't prefer to do Migration Assistant on a Mac. I actually really like to set up every every Mac kind of fresh, only install what I want to install. You know, I don't have to worry about any files or folders or weird apps that carrying over. So I do it from scratch. iCloud Drive actually took an entire day to appear for some reason. Everything else about the setup was super fast. But my folders in iCloud Drive, I tried all yesterday and I couldn't get them to show up. And magically this morning, they appeared. I don't know why, but but they're there now. So that was a little setup weird thing. I'm sure not everyone will experience that. But the biggest deal that you have to decide if this will affect you personally, William, or you listener, if this is going to affect you. But not every app is compatible with the new M1. Lots of apps are you know, able to run in Rosetta, in that emulation, but some just flat out don't run. And for me, the biggest deal, I use Audio Hijack every time I record anything, even if it's just solo, if it's with a guest doing a podcast, I'm using it right now. And Audio Hijack doesn't run at all. You can't even open it on the M1 MacBook Pro. And Rogue Amoeba said they are updating it. They already have a version that's working. They're going to push it out very soon, but it's just not available right now. Other apps like Pixelmator have already updated to take advantage of the M1, and that app is amazing. That's what I use when I do any kind of graphic stuff, and that's awesome. But depending on what you do, if you're a developer, if there's some tools or apps that you use that just don't run yet on the M1, well, that's a deal breaker. And So really investigate every app. I would also encourage you, if you do any kind of live production situation, like if you're doing video cards, any kind of black magic devices, do not, <laughs> I would say do not upgrade to Big Sur, which we'll talk about in a minute, <laughs> and do not upgrade to an M1 Mac because it's probably going to break a bunch of things. So do not do that. And I actually ran into that with an audio interface. I was actually really excited. I was wanting to upgrade my Scarlett uh, Focusrite audio interface. And so I actually got the Universal Audio Arrow. It's a Thunderbolt 3 audio interface. The preamps are super powerful. It can even run like a Shure SM7B. No problem. No cloud lifter needed. And I plugged it in, tried to download the software, the driver, and it would not run on Big Sur. This wasn't even an M1 issue. This is just Big Sur. But you have to run Big Sur on the new M1 Max. You can't run Catalina. So 
that was a deal breaker for that audio interface. So I just returned that and actually went with the sound devices mix pre three, which we talk about some other time, but that's a huge deal. You have to consider compatibility with the apps that you use that are mission critical. And so until audio hijack is updated, I have to keep this 16 inch around, but when it's updated and I can run it on my M one, William, if you'd like my 16-inch, I mean, I'll make an offer you can't refuse. Okay. I can refuse quite a lot of things, but um, if you go low <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So anyway, that those are the pros and cons. So now let me tell you, now you run a Mac Mini, don't you? Yes, a 2018 Mac Mini, which I love, but I should have got with more storage. and uh, Well, I, I, I was going to say more RAM. I haven't really often run into RAM problems, but storage I have. So when you said you went for one terabyte, I was thinking, yeah. Wise man, yes. Yeah, and now what, what do you have in that Mac Mini? Oh, the the base, the absolute smallest you could possibly get. Was that 128? I actually now boot from an external 500 Ooh, wow. uh, because it was just, just cripplingly small, wow. the 128. I was for, uh, forever having to delete files just to get anything on it. I, I was down to uh, under 5 gigabytes just running the apps that I normally use. So you forget video editing mm. and things. Even just having an external 500 gigabyte one that I built from, which does cause some problems every now and again, that the, that, that increase in room revolution, it was like getting a whole new Mac. Yeah, for sure. So I will now never buy the base level. Um, I'll wait until I can afford the next one up or at least 512, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, you know, hold out to see if they have some kind of upgraded processor in the Mac Mini, that's one of the things where the Mac Mini and the MacBook Pro, Apple is still selling the Intel versions. So you can get the 13-inch MacBook Pro with four ports with an Intel chip still from Apple, brand new. And you can still buy the Intel Mac Mini, which also has more ports, which is you know kind of weird as well. If you go from the older Mac Mini like you have to the new one, you lose two Thunderbolt ports, which is unfortunate. So... I would I would really wait, but whatever next version of chips they come out, maybe it's the M2, maybe it's the M1X. I really think that next class of desktops like iMac, that's going to be incredible performance. And so that's my plan. My 16-inch MacBook Pro was kind of my workhorse, and I really want my desktop to be the speedy one and my laptop to be the on-the-go portable thing. So I love this M1 13-inch MacBook Pro. I'm definitely going to keep it. I think I'm going to sell my 16-inch. And then whenever they update those iMacs to whatever M2X, whatever chip those, I imagine those are going to be incredible. And hopefully that can be my desktop. That'll be the powerhouse. Everything will be compatible by then. And then 13-inch for, for portability. But, you know, if you were considering, listener, a MacBook Air for whatever reason, you know, maybe you do have a student that's going to be going into college soon or doing some online learning and you needed to upgrade your laptop, the M1 chip. Even if you get the MacBook Air, which is probably what most people should get, especially if you're just doing Zoom calls, schoolwork, things like that, that MacBook Air is incredibly powerful for that form factor. No fan. It's always going to be cool. It's just an incredible machine. I love my this MacBook Pro that has an M1, and I'm sure the Air is just as incredible. So it is a great option if you are considering something like a MacBook Air level a laptop in the near future. That's my recommendation. I do wonder, actually, I was saying to you, the confusion I have between the Air and the Pro, is this actually likely to be the end of the iMac Pro? Surely an mm. M1 chip, which doesn't need greater cooling than the iMac Pro used to have this better cooling system and it could run more cores and run faster. That feels like it's going to be less of an issue. Is the iMac finally going to be the machine just below the iMac, just below the Mac Pro? Will we lose that gorgeous iMac Pro forever? So, I mean, considering they haven't really significantly updated it since its launch in 2017, True. I think that's telling. And the fact that they upgraded the 27-inch earlier this year and did nothing with the iMac Pro, I do think that is telling. I feel like they could really clean up the line by doing a 21-inch iMac and a 27-inch iMac, putting a super powerful Apple Silicon chip in there. And then from the iMac, it would basically just be the Mac Pro after that. I think it would clean it up. You know, I know a lot of people love the iMac Pro, but I don't know if you have a super powerful 27-inch iMac with an Apple Silicon chip. You know, why do you need two different two different ones, you know? Actually, this is making me think. The confusion I have the Mac, the Air and the Pro is that all three machines have the same chip. But that's the same with the iPhone 12 range as well, isn't it? It's like Apple's no longer differentiating by processor, except that uh, you can get some broken M1s for slightly cheaper in the the, <laughs> yeah, the, the seven core thing. Yes, yeah. Are we going to have to change how we... Th- Defied uh, groups. I mean, how we 
point to the one we want as quickly as we used to. It's, it feels like it's it's changing the whole environment of it. And, and I think for the better, because I, I mean, I, I look at specifications because I understand the differences enough that I, I get what matters to me. But really what matters to me is the only thing that gets, what can I use it for? And that seems to be what Apple tends to prefer talking about, the experience rather than the, the gigahertz speeds or something. Right. Uh, they're moving my way. I think I like this. Yeah, absolutely. And like you just said, you know, no gigahertz was ever mentioned in the event for the Apple Silicon. And there is only one processor option for these three computers, the new Mac Mini, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air. I think in in regards to configuration in the future, I think the larger 16-inch might have some kind of configuration options when it comes to CPU or GPU, and then maybe the Mac Pro. But I feel like those will be the only two devices that'll have a processor configuration option. You know, for the MacBook Pro, you used to be able to choose, even on the low end, you can go from the i5 to the i7 if you wanted to update or, you know, upgrade that Intel chip. But now the MacBook Pro, the only option you have is storage and RAM. That's it. And I feel like that's going to be the option on a lot of things. When the iMac 27-inch comes out, I imagine it'll be one processor. You can choose RAM and storage, and that'll be it. And Apple always likes to simplify those choices. You know, we've never had that kind of choice on iPhone. You get storage and model, you know, that's really it. Even on iPad, you get storage and cellular, and that's it. Now, that could be one thing that they do add in future Apple Silicon Macs is a cellular option. I mean, a MacBook Air with a cellular connectivity, would that be, I mean, in the day comes that we'll actually be able to get out of the house again, (laughs) would that be tempting for you? Yes, it would. That'd be great. Yes. But my mind's just on, as soon as you said i9, I'd forgotten, I'd already forgotten, trying to work out uh, an eighth generation i7 beating a sixth generation i9 at this clock speed versus, oh, forget all of that. Right, right. Just tell me the RAM and the speed, that's fine. Yeah, and the people that really want to get in on that, they'll be going for the Mac Pro anyway. True. You know, they're the ones that want 96 gigs of RAM and, you know, really choose their processor, core account, all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited for the future of the Mac. I think this is an incredible first step. In one of the comments that Apple executives did an interview, they actually admitted they feel like they overshot on these first M1 MacBooks Mm. in performance and they just totally exceeded what they were even aiming for, which is awesome. I mean, it's incredible. And, you know, some of the consternation was, is Apple going to put amazing performance in these new Macs and everyone's going to test them and then it's going to appear like their other Macs that are still for sale aren't good anymore. And it's clear that Apple doesn't care about that. I mean, people are benchmarking the iMac Pro and Mac Pro (laughs) against this M1 MacBook Air. And the MacBook Air is totally smoking them in a lot of different ways. And it's like, they're both Apple computers. So Apple's like, listen, we these are amazing. Just wait till you see what we do with desktop computers and the Pro line, and it's going to blow you away. And that's that's yes. really exciting to me. Do you, you don't think, there's this rumor that Apple has a surprise for us at Christmas. You don't think it's going to be the transitions over every Mac available with <laughs> M234. No. No, 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 I do not have all the surprises. Uh, no, no. Dull. I think AirPod Studio or Apple TV. That's it. Okay. If there's a surprise. Right. This episode is brought to you by SanDisk. We all know how easy it is to run out of space on your phone, even if it's not you. You probably have friends or family members who didn't get a big storage iPhone and now are struggling to deal with all the photos they're taking. And photos and videos can really pile up, especially if you're taking those 4K videos like on the new iPhones. And if you're waiting for those memories to upload to the cloud, it could take a really long time. And if you're not on Wi-Fi, you might not even be able to do it. That's why I'm excited to share a new simple solution from SanDisk. You guys know SanDisk, all about their thumb drives, their SD cards. I've used SanDisk stuff for years. And now they have an incredible storage option for your phone. I've been using the iExpand flash drive from SanDisk. It's a two-in-one drive. It's super cool. It's got a lightning port on one side and a USB-A port on the other. And you can use this with your iPhone or your iPad and then plug it right into your Mac or PC. And if you download the iExpand app, you can actually auto backup all of your photos right to the drive. And it comes in really large sizes, so you can fit all your photos and videos from your phone to the iExpand flash drive. You can get 128 and even up to 256 gigabytes of storage on one of these iExpand flash drives. I really like it because I take photos and videos. Sometimes I'm going to be using them on YouTube or if I'm going to do something for Apple Insider. And I can take a video and photo on my iPhone and then transfer it right to this iExpand flash drive and move it to my Mac. And it's super simple. Not only that, but I love how it 
integrates with the Files app on your phone or iPad. So you can access the thumb drive right from that Files app. It's super cool. So take my advice, start freeing up space on your phone with SanDisk today. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order of featured SanDisk products, but only when you go to SanDisk, that's S-A-N-D-I-S-K dot com slash Apple Insider. Don't wait, that's SanDisk dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to SanDisk for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, the other device that came in people's homes this week was the HomePod Mini. This was announced with the iPhone 12s, talking about the smaller version of the HomePod Mini. <laughs> now, you have one, William, but you are you are saving it. You're putting it into a time capsule, right? You're going to wait a year or something? This is your fault, specifically you. <laughs> Talking to you about how popular they were going to be in the delivery dates and things. You saying, yeah, you want to get one of these for Christmas? You need to get in there. And you're absolutely right. Uh, delivery dates slipped insanely in some places. Yeah. Uh, in the US, I think it, it took a long time for them to say, uh, but here in Europe, I think Germany, for example, it was suddenly you'd have to wait eight weeks to get uh, right. the Space Grey one. So I, I listened to you and I bought one, but mm -hmm. it is specifically a Christmas present for my wife, Angela, who I'm going to have to distract uh, while this episode plays out. But yes, it is right in front of me. <laughs> I, the book, the box is amazingly small. I long to get in. Actually, you've got one. You can tell me that it's such a small box. Is there a mains plug in there as well? Or have they done the iPhone trick and <laughs> left me out? <laughs> That'd be terrible. No. And so just so you know, too, listener, if you order a HomePod mini right now, at least here in the U.S., it looks like the free delivery option would be December 15th to 22nd. So if you really want one as a Christmas present, now might be the time because uh, that those delivery dates are slipping. I would also like to point out this has been a terrible year. We all deserved by ourselves Christmas presents as well as other people. Let's just put that in the background. Uh, let's, let's, you're just looking at me now. Okay. That's right. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Listen, and at a hundred bucks, let's talk about this actual device because I got two in the mail this past Tuesday. And like you... The boxes, it took me actually a second to find the boxes on my front porch that the, <laughs> that the, the delivery person left because they're so small. And like the guy put them right up against the house on the side of the door. And I was like, where is it? are these things? So, so tiny, the box. But if you get multiple, Apple ships them individually. So I actually had two very small cord cardboard boxes on my stoop, they, one for each HomePod Mini. They don't, they don't package them together. I will say uh, Andrew and I talk at length about the HomePod Mini on the HomeKit Insider show that comes out on Monday. So definitely check that out. But I will tell you, the size is surprising. I mean, even the augmented reality stuff that you could do to kind of look at it against other devices, it really doesn't do justice. Like, it is so small. I described it as a softball if you were to squish it. If you took a softball and you, you squish it down like a sandwich just a little bit, you basically have a HomePod Mini. And it's a, an ellipsoid is the you know shape name. It's not a sphere. It's an ellipsoid because it's, you know, squished down a little bit, but incredibly small, very cute. And it does come with the power adapter. So, you know, William, you, d you don't have to fear about that. Of course. Thank you. Yes. And it is kind of weird though, because, you know, with a big HomePod, there's no brick on the outside. You just have the plug. It's very nice and discreet. You just plug it in. The HomePod mini, I, probably because it's so small, it can't have that power adapter inside. So it actually comes with the 20 watt power adapter, the one that you would use with like your MagSafe charger for your phone, and that plugs into the wall. So it's almost like the power adapter is like half the size of the HomePod mini. So it looks a little funny if you can't like plug it in behind something. The one of the places where I put it, it's plugged in right next to it and it's just massive power plug next to tiny HomePod <laughs> mini. So that's a little, that's a little weird, but I will say it is really cool device. The sound if you have a large HomePod, which you have a large one, right? Right there on your desk? Yes, from right next to me. I love it to pieces. You're saying it's HomePod Mini is better, yeah? Uh, by, because physics, no. <laughs> because science. It's, I mean, just the, the pure size of it, it is just, it can't put out the same sound as the big HomePod. So if you're comparing it to the large HomePod, you might be a little disappointed because it, it just does not have the the breadth of sound and the bass, it just doesn't because it's a much smaller device. But I will say, I replaced these with two Alexas. I had an Alexa Dot and one of the small tower ones. And I replaced those with these HomePod minis. And I do prefer the HomePod mini sound over those devices. So if you're trying to replace those smaller 
echoes or dots. I do think the HomePod mini sounds great with that. And I will say when you pair two together, I paired the two HomePod minis in a stereo pair in one room. And I actually found the sound was dramatically better with two. Mm. Now, one thing is the big HomePod has spatial awareness. It knows if it's like against a wall. It knows if you move it and it will recalibrate. The HomePod minis don't have that ability. So when you put it right up against a wall, it doesn't shape the sound as well as a HomePod, the large one would. So that's one of the big differences. And again, just because of the size of it, you know, they just don't have that technology in it. So I would be careful where you put it. Try not to put it right up against a wall. Give it a little bit of space. But it is a very nice sound. If you have any of those other smart speakers besides a HomePod or a Sonos, I think you'll like the HomePod mini sound. It's it's pleasant. That's really interesting about the room thing. I, I didn't, I'd missed that they didn't have that. So it's very useful. Thank you. I'll tell Angela when she gets it out of the box. Yeah, right. And that's one of the reasons why you can't use the minis in a home theater configuration. Apple just launched the larger HomePods will do virtual Dolby Atmos surround sound and uh, the HomePod minis will not. So again, that's one of the reasons why. But one of the advantages the HomePod mini has, and this is pure magic, I have to say, it has the U1 wideband chip. And it can do handoff between your phone and the HomePod mini almost instantaneous. And it is just magical. If you're playing music on your phone or even a podcast, I was doing a Pocket Casts podcast, playing on my phone, I walked into the room, held the top of my phone to the side of the HomePod mini, and it just transfers to the HomePod minis and starts playing on the stereo pair almost instantly. That's because of that U1 chip, the device's know, have that spatial awareness, and that handoff works even more seamless than it does on the larger HomePod. And if you're trying to do it, don't hold, it's the top of your phone, because that's where, I think that's where, you know, NFC U1 area thing is. So top-ish half of the phone and the side of the HomePod mini, and it just transfers like that. And if something's playing on the HomePod mini and you want to transfer to your phone to like take with you, you do the same thing. Hold the top of your phone near the HomePod mini and it will transfer to your phone and you can just walk out of the room and do something else with it. So mm. that little handoff feature is extremely cool. And almost for that reason alone, I really love the HomePod mini way better than if you had an Echo or something. You can airplay to them. It does this handoff feature and you can do Siri commands, whether it's HomeKit or shortcut stuff. The microphones on the mini are also very good. If you have a big HomePod, you'll know it'll hear you from miles away. And these HomePod minis are similar. They, they really have good mics and you don't have to speak loud and you say, hey, dingus and it does its thing. So really cool. I do recommend them as a Christmas gift. You can't go wrong. Good on you, William. I am starting to wonder whether Angela would like chocolates instead. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. I'll leave it to you. Does she does listen to a lot of music or does she listen to uh, Apple Insider Podcast exclusively? <laughs> uh, she's slightly more music than podcasts, actually. Mm. So, mm -hmm. yes, you know, okay. I got you. Well, check out the links about the HomePod Mini in show notes and don't forget to check out the HomeKit Insider episode that comes out Monday, you can hear Andrew and I talk all about the HomeKit implications and things like that. But now what I want to talk to you about, William, and I know you can speak extensively to this. A week ago, macOS Big Sur became available publicly to the masses and me like a, I don't know what you would call it, but I just, I upgrade immediately. I don't wait. I don't wait for the, <laughs> the bug fix update. I put the public release on every one of my devices without abandon immediately, uh, for better or worse. And I did find there was some serious issues when they actually released Big Sur. Like it wouldn't install for a lot of people for hours and hours. It took a long time. But were, you were running the developer betas or were you not? Uh, developer betas, yeah. And in fact, uh, I've decided to just leave it on that for a bit while things settle down. Because at the moment, I'm, weirdly, I'm having some new odd oddities in the last few days when I don't believe I've updated even uh, the beta, but something has changed somewhere. Uh, I'm just leaving it with this because everything I'm working using works. Uh, and then in a couple of weeks time, I'll come off the developer beta and go onto it uh, proper. But yeah, uh, if it hadn't been just a fluke of what I was doing at the time I was in the middle of a big Final Cut Pro edit when it dropped, I would have hit the button and walked away waiting for it as well. So <laughs> I feel like I, I lucked out a bit there. But I mean, the, I like it when it works. I'm not, I, don't, I sound very negative, but I, I, the other day I had to go back to Mac OS Catalina for a bit and it, it felt so wrong, so old. Really? So you've been using it for a while. This is my first week with it. And so I actually have a tweet thread with some of my initial reactions. And I'll see if you identified with these, maybe when you started running the developer ones or if you still feel this way. 
way. At your first impression, at least for me, was like, holy rounded corners, Batman. It's like rounded everything. Every corner, like there's not a square edge on the OS except for the far corners of the screen. Like everything is rounded, which is nice, but I also feel like some apps, like they didn't intend to be rounded and like Big Sur is <laughs> forcing them to be rounded and it is not looking that great. So I feel like visually... There's some things I love. I love Control Center. I love that you can drag things in and out of Control Center into the menu bar. But I also like how it's all nice and neat in that Control Center segment. So I love that. Yeah. But some of the design elements all around the corners, uh, jury's still out for me. Have you gotten used to that? Uh, well, things because I was using the beta, things were changing quite a lot over it. And there were things I found to do with uh, dialogue boxes with the rounded edges and the buttons in them. Um, I, I hated those at first because it was quite hard sometimes to see which was the de- the button, that, the default button that would react when you hit the return key. Uh, and especially, um, and the finder windows that were slightly rounded, uh, it was very difficult to see which tab you were actually in. Mm. So now that those have been fixed. Um, I feel like I've forgotten anything else. I'm just glad that those are gone. In fact, I was looking at my, I have a very wide monitor. I'm looking at how many rounded corners there are. And uh, <laughs> now you put it back in my head, it is distracting. So so thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. It is, it is true. And also in system preferences, I don't know, when, if you open system preferences, some of those icons now I guess they're bringing back some skeuomorphism and a lot of roundedness, but some of those icons just look dated to me. Like the notifications bell in system preferences and even like the network, the globe with the little lights and strings. I don't know. It feels like Netscape or something like uh, the, it doesn't seem new and fresh, at least some of those icons. And again, you don't see those all the time. (laughs) That's very hard. Sorry. Sorry. Not, not Netscape per se, but it just feels I don't know, dated. It does not feel that way to you? Uh, I actually opened System Preferences while you were saying that, and, and I realised, uh, again, I I suppose usually when I go in, I'm going to do something in particular, or I use Alfred that lets me go straight into notifications or straight into displays or whatever. So I hadn't looked at it, and now, yeah, I could see your point. <laughs> My problem with icons was uh, the dock felt like it was candy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. British. I'm in Britain. We would normally you would call things uh, sweets here, but there's very specifically something American candy-like about uh, a lot of Apple's dock icons, and I noticed that, and that's taken me a while to get used to. Um, but then when I'm about to Catalina, all the dock icons seemed wrong and very big somehow so it's one of the things i think you get used to yeah um and where if i don't listen to people like you really um that's, <laughs> thank you. that's the answer yeah <laughs> thank you I, yeah it's all just more bubbly i feel like those dock icons especially like the finder bubbly safari perfect word yeah yes thank you yeah the messages especially the messages looks like it's a bubble gum in process of being blown up it just <laughs> it's very very bubbly but it's fine you know i don't see i have my dock auto hide so it's not something i see all the time but oh i like having my dock out all right well what about menu bar apps this is something that's still wrong for me are you have you noticed anything about your menu bar apps well okay but real quick is your dock on the left bottom or right bottom even though I have quite, I've got a wide but quite low height monitor, I still, I like it in the bottom. I, I tradition. Yeah. Well, if it was on the side, you would have to scroll for probably half a day just to get to the <laughs> dock. <laughs> so yeah, it's probably better to have it yes. on the bottom. But yeah, the menu, the menu icons, you'll have to tell me exactly what it is. I know text expander, which I use, the icon is dark. Yeah. And because the menu bar is transparent, I don't know, just like a blank space in the menu bar. So some of that stuff is a little weird. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's like a toothless grin sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it's much better than it was. Yes. I love the fact that Apple changes the menu bar to kind of blend in with your work. It's Apple saying your work is the important thing. That's what should pop, not our controls and things. And, and that is great. But uh, until every developer has gone through everything, depending on what your wallpaper is, the menu bar will change a certain color and different apps in the menu bar will be, well, well now they're not invisible. Originally they were, right. there would be absolute gaps. And you're thinking, I put them there because I use them and I don't know what that is. You have to click in the holes to see what responds where. <laughs> and as I look now, uh, Creative Cloud is oddly dark with uh, the background I've got, uh, Text Expander. And I, I don't even know what this one is. I have some sort of calendar app and I can't tell. Is it Fantastic Cal? It is, but 
No, Fantastica works fine uh, for it. It has just this little uh, regular icon. So it's something else. I think it might be part of iStat menus or something that I uh, accidentally installed. Okay. Once. It's very good, but I didn't need it. So, yeah. <laughs> so But it, I, I change. At the moment, I have the, that very gaudy uh, Big Sur default background because I'm doing lots of screenshots and you want to show that it's this one. My normal wallpaper is quite a dark. It's a really close-up shot of some uh, glass from a, a glass foundry went to a beautiful thing I think hmm. but much much darker and so when I switch back to that a different set of apps vanish in the menu bar it's uh, it's so much better than it was so you think you could send me that image we can put it in show notes for our listeners if they'd like to use your wallpaper okay yeah I'd be proud of that one love it I've used it for years now this episode is brought to you by the Nebia by Moen spa shower not only does this shower look and feel great, but it saves tons of water and will save you money over the course of a year. The Nibia story originates in Mexico City where water shortages are a problem. So the company came to Silicon Valley to raise money. In Silicon Valley, Tim Cook was actually one of Nebia's first investors and one of the guys on the original iPhone team is on the Nebia team that developed this shower. It was developed by Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers to create a superior shower experience while saving water. Currently, Nebia has saved over 175 million gallons of water. Just incredible. Now, let me tell you, I got this shower, and I'm not a super do-it-yourself guy, so installing a new shower was a little intimidating at first. But let me tell you, the instructions and all the parts they give you in the box make replacing your current shower head super simple. I was able to do it in, honestly, less than 15 minutes. And once it was installed, let me tell you, the shower experience by the Nebia by Moen Spa Shower is awesome. The water is atomized and it just envelops you with water. It feels great. And I learned a new term from the Nebia people. The thermal comfort of the shower, meaning how hot it gets, is great. It feels great. It really does feel like a spa. And if you get the wand, which I highly recommend, you can actually connect to this little magnetic dome on the side of the shower, and then you can use it as a wand in addition to the head. It is just an awesome shower experience, and you know you're saving water. And that means it can also save you money. They actually have a calculator on their website where you can put in your location, and it will tell you how much money you will save in a year by using the Nebia by Moen Spa shower. And it also looks great. I got the fingerprint resistant nickel finish. It looks awesome against my tile and they have a bunch of colors to make sure it will look great in your bathroom. And not only that, but they also have these accessories. I got one of the shower shelves in the same nickel finish and it works great to hang whatever loofahs or soaps you can put on top of it. It just all looks great. And I love using the Nebia by Moen Spa Shower. Even my kids love it. And so listen, if you have a kid that doesn't like taking a shower, this actually might get them in there. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's an adjustable height shower too. So they can lower it and then you can raise it. It's just super convenient. So here's the deal. You can actually get 15% off site-wide because you're an Apple Insider listener. Nebia doesn't usually do sales like this, so this is a great opportunity. Go to nebia.com slash appleinsider. Take a look at everything they have to offer, and then use the coupon code appleinsider when checking out, and you'll get 15% off anything on their online store. That's nebia, N-E-B-I-A, dot com slash appleinsider, and then use the coupon code appleinsider at checkout. Our thanks to Nebia for sponsoring this episode. I will say a couple cool things I like about the menu bar. Right now, my Mac is in Do Not Disturb mode, and you get the little moon icon in the menu bar automatically when Do Not Disturb is enabled. Before, you would kind of have to do the notification slide over to see if you're in Do Not Disturb. So that's a nice little touch. And what I really like is when your AirPods connect to your Mac, the volume icon actually changes to the AirPods icon. And so if you want to know for sure if your AirPods are connected to your Mac, because sometimes it could be a little, you know, they play the little ding, like it's connected, but maybe it's really not. That little icon I found is more reliable and you could see, oh, my AirPods are connected. I can see it in my menu bar. I'm ready to go. So that's actually a pretty nice little touch. That's I like that little bit of whimsy, as you would say, yes. in, the, uh, in the Mac OS. Yes. That touch of detail Apple does. I mean, it's it's classy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my, my final uh, complaint, and then uh, we can do overall thoughts. <laughs> for some reason, for, I do a lot of quick look. You know, you hit the space bar, you can look at a screenshot quickly, or you can, in any app, you press space bar, you do the quick look thing. I found the redesign of preview, which I actually do use pretty often, whether it's to mark up a screenshot or to look at a PDF, I find the preview window actually looks so much similar to the quick view window. I'm never quite sure which one I'm in until I try to do something with it. So, you know, because a lot of times I'll, I'll quick look 
a screenshot, and then hit the markup button. And sometimes you can mark it up right there in the quick look. Sometimes you want to open it up in preview. And I find that to be a little confusing. I'm not sure. The, the redesign, it just the new preview looks so much like a quick look window, it's, it's hard to tell it apart. So you can just look in the menu bar and see what you're in. But I don't know, at a glance, uh, I've lost that at a glance ability <laughs> to know where I am or what it is. I do have an answer actually to that. Oh. Uh, what you do is uh, you have quick look act so slowly that you never bother with it anymore and you go straight to preview. <laughs> That's what happens on my machine. Uh, seriously, recently in the last few weeks, uh, particularly a quick look of a video will take so long to open that I do. I open it in uh, QuickTime Player or, or something else. I don't know what's changed about that because I used to be tapping that space bar for quick view yeah. all the time. I've been training myself away from it now. Well, if you uh, get one of those new M1 Macs, that quick look, it's very speedy. <laughs> oh, I just walked into that, didn't I? <laughs> okay, yes. I thought you were trying to set me up. You're giving me a HomePod mini softball. I just thought I was ready to go. But anyway, uh, but overall, I think I do. I mean, I like a lot of the redesign. I'm getting used to the rounded corners. I don't have to look at the icons too often. And so the, the menu bar control center is definitely two thumbs up. I really enjoy that. And there's some apps that are updating for Big Sur and really adding some more features. One password actually had a big update where now it will pop your autofill options right next to the login boxes on a website. And it was actually a little annoying at first because iCloud Keychain and 1Password were popping up simultaneously as I would try to log into a website. And there's no way to like dismiss one. You kind of have to click and figure out what you're doing. So I actually turned off the Safari like autofill password option. It's still saving my passwords, but I made it so it doesn't pop up anymore. And now all I have is one password pop up right next to the login window. And you, when you click it, it'll also, if you have a two-factor code, it'll automatically put that in on the next screen after you log in. So that one password update is huge and I just love it. So if you use one password, update to the latest in Big Sur, it really works well. Actually, I, I may have a workaround for you on this as well. I, I use both Safari's thing and 1Password. Uh, and most of the time when I go to a login site, it's asking me upfront for username and password. You type in username and yes, 1Password, and I, they seem to fight. But I found if you click away and then click in the password field, just the Safari one came up and I was able to select that. Hmm. Rubbish if it's one of those that asks password and then on the next screen, username and then password on the next screen. But uh, one I was trying just moments before, before we talk, that seemed to let me have the best of both worlds. But okay, well, and and I think I think the setting I have now it won't autofill, but it is still saving them. Right. So I think if I create a password, it'll save it in iCloud Keychain and One Password, but it won't like the window won't pop up anymore. And I actually prefer to default to One Password because of that two-factor authentication built in. And I do that on. I do. On, yeah. Yeah. Pretty one much Password on is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So that's cool. I also saw the Bartender 4 has an update. And if you really want to customize that menu bar in Big Sur, they have some really cool features for that. And I saw your uh, app of choice, Hazel, had a big update as well for Big Sur. I haven't jumped the gun on it yet, yes. but I saw they updated. Well, funnily enough, I haven't jumped the gun either. Um, I imagine I will. Uh, I also use a thing called Keyboard Maestro. Um, and all of these things have overlaps and things. And Hazel was doing a certain job for me. And then it stopped doing it because of other automation problems, nothing to do with Hazel. And in fixing it, I actually, I created, instead of multiple scripts and all sorts of things, I did one very long, very complicated keyboard maestro thing. <laughs> and it actually replaces Hazel for this specific thing I'm doing. And that's, it's enough that I'm wondering, do I also need Hazel? But I mean, it's been so good to me over the years. It's I think it's twenty dollars to upgrade from it. I feel like throwing it twenty dollars, even if I never use it, because I think the development is so good. And you know what it's like when you buy any productivity software. You buy it for one thing, and you end up using it for a hundred. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm sure I will. Yeah, I'm sure I will. But right now, I I, I haven't, even though uh, I was waiting for it to come out. Well, that looks cool. And then finally, this was actually an article you had, but Safari. I didn't realize you have a lot more customization options now in Safari. You get this little settings icon and you can like change a bunch of stuff. You can change your background image for when you open a new tab or window in Safari. You can choose whether or not you want your iCloud tabs or reading list 
right there on that start page. As so I'll put a link to the show notes to William's article about that. But you know, that's pretty cool. How do you have your Safari thing set up? What do you have on that that start page? For a brief while, I, I put my wallpaper picture on there because I really I like it that much. Yeah. But then it was just too confusing that window on top of the <laughs> wallpaper. Um, I realized I tried all of the new features and I experimented with all of them for a few days or weeks and some of them, and I've slowly stripped back. Except I got into the habit over the last two, couple of years of pinning an awful lot of tabs that I was repeatedly going to. And I took the time to pull them out into Safari because the start page can show you, well, it shows you like your frequently used ones, which tend to be the same things, but also it lets you see many more of your bookmarks, I suppose. So I created a folder with most of these groups together uh, and my now, my new Safari window is much neater and tighter uh, and yet I'm quicker to get to the things uh, I want. But, I mean, the, the things I want, have you tried out translation? in Safari yet? No, not yet. Oh, go to lemond.fr right now and uh, it'll very briefly flash up translation available in the address bar, but then there'll be a little icon uh, just to the left of the URL. Click on that, choose translate to English and pretty instantly the entire page is, is redone from French into English and, and it is a really good translation. It's far better than just like a word-for-word -word swap that I think sometimes Google Translate is guilty of. It, it works in context. Uh, I, I'm learning French through Duolingo so I, I read Le Monde um, I suppose partly as part of the research for it but it's no longer a thing that I use to study. It's another newspaper that I read because it's so quick and easy to get in there and that's just great. Love it. That is pretty awesome. And yeah, I just tried it on that website. Man, it works great. And it says it's in beta, but yeah, yeah, it, it works awesome. Uh, in th Apple says that uh, you do it on one page, the front page of Le Monde, for example. If you then go to another page in Le Monde, that it will just straight away translate it. And in fact, uh, if you go to another site that's in French, it'll translate it. Uh, and I found that's far less reliable. I kept having to redo the page, but you know, so what? It's just so <laughs> good. Even doing that, uh, it's an absolute treat. And I'm very excited about it, particularly because Apple promised it, but said it was coming out only in America. So here I am in Britain. I did not expect uh -huh. to get it for some updates and here it is. So yay. Here it is. That's very cool. Very cool. All right, well, let's hit just a couple other quick news bits here at the end. I know William was extremely excited for this. Twitter launched Fleets, which is their stories. Was that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps so, my excitement was fleeting. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We just need to end the show right now. <laughs> that right there. Yeah, uh, Twitter added stories, and I think stories is soon coming to the calculator app on your Mac. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be everywhere. So... I don't even know how I feel about it, but if you missed it, yeah, Twitter has stories now. I said something, but it vanished again so quickly that you didn't hear it. Um, I think that's that's probably what's yeah. going on. I'm just digging a hole for myself. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, um, no, that's right. The last news, which is not the, the smallest piece of news, but this was actually in this huge week of reviews and devices that Apple has launched. It's amazing that this actually is what gets buried in the news. But Apple actually changed the commission for certain developers in the App Store. This is a huge deal. I mean, this is something that kind of been in talks over the summer with all the antitrust and the epic stuff. And so Apple announced its small business program, which basically means if you're a developer who makes iOS, Mac apps, either one, and if you make or bring in less than $1 million a year, your commission rate is only 15% instead of 30 if you make less than a million dollars a year. And so for smaller developers, I mean, this is a huge deal. We No one really expected that they were going to lower this anytime soon. Maybe it was because of antitrust. But if you make less than a million, now it's only a 15% commission. And those who make over a million dollars a year continue to pay that 30%, which is probably ironic because it affects the guys like Epic and <laughs> the game people <laughs> yes. at Fortnite. And so I almost wonder if it's kind of like a, you know, I don't even know the right phrase, but, you know, it helps out all the smaller developers and the big guys that were complaining <laughs> Nothing changes for them because surely they gross more than a million a year. So this isn't, I mean, it's a big deal. But 15% uh, is now the commission if you make less than a million dollars a year as an Apple developer. What did you think about that? Well, I thought it was good when I heard about it. But then uh, both myself and Wesley Hillard on Apple Insider, we talked to various developers we knew. And uh, some of them were like, yeah, right, this has happened now because... 
antitrust, Fortnite, sure. But every single developer was not just pleased, they were ecstatic mm. about it. And, and uh, they were all up front saying this means more money for them. But some, uh, James Thompson, who does Peacock, uh, was saying it's particularly useful this year. Uh, he's seen uh, app sales go down because of the pandemic and things, and it will help with that. He was saying, no, the first thing he said to me, I think, was uh, that it will grow the industry. Um, mm. Everybody said this. It will attract more developers, and that's got to be a great thing. So whether Apple did it from the goodness of their heart or to sidestep some legal challenge, the end result is really good for all of us, So, except Epic. So that's great. I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty awesome. So we'll put the link in show notes to that. But, yeah, great news. Big deal, again, for lots of developers out there. Well, if you have one of these new Macs, if you have thoughts about Big Sur, if you have anything you'd like to engage with us, you can tweet at William and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes, as well as links to all the articles we talked about this week. So we'd love to hear from you. You can email us. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. That'll really help the show out, raise the ranks, be discovered by more Apple fans like yourself. Just so you know, we're not going to have a normal episode next week. It is Black Friday would be the air date for that episode. And so being Thanksgiving and, you know, with all Black Friday. Now, wait a minute. Do you guys have Thanksgiving in the UK? I just realized that. No, no, no. We've kind of grown Black Friday. We don't have Thanksgiving. But what we do have is my birthday uh, oh. on the 27th. Oh. So it works out fine. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm, gonna I'm hoping someone's going to send me a 16-inch MacBook Pro and an iPad. Mm. I'm hoping. <laughs> I don't know if it'll get there in time. But anyway... So no normal episode next Friday, but actually we'll have a special interview with an iOS developer and I'm going to get his thoughts on the new 15% commission rate from the App Store. So be on the lookout next week sometime. That episode will pop in your feed and then we will return to our regularly scheduled broadcasting in December. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you and we'll catch you next time. 